this is Ali Amagasu, welcoming you, welcoming you to episode 28 of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm here today with my co-host, Valerie Benincosa. Val? And today's guest yeah. is Ben Keeps, a longtime involved um, entity in the cloud world. He has been a writer. Many of us know him as a writer. He's also an investor, and uh, he's on panels. He's kind of everywhere, and, and part of the reason I'm excited about having him on today is because he produces, he gives us a really different view. Uh, many people who are on are working on a project or they, are work, they work for a company. They have a very narrow view. Ben's kind of everywhere. He's seeing things from, I'd say, maybe a more neutral point of view and from a higher level than the rest of us. And I think that's a really, a really valuable perspective to introduce rather than somebody who's so down in the weeds and, and close to everything that they can't really be objective, which I include myself and my co-host in that <laughs> from time Absolutely. To time. <laughs> so Ben, welcome. Thank you for being on the show. Awesome. Thank you for the invitation. Sure. Um, I'd like to start off before we get into uh, the discussion about the cloud, just uh, to let folks get to know you. I know that running is a passion of yours and uh, there's many people for whom running is a passion, but they're not this extreme. Uh, can you tell folks what you were just doing this last weekend? Yeah, so I, uh, I've been a runner now for about a decade, and I guess, uh, you know, I'm middle aged and I've got that uh, eternal fear of being that, that sort of uh, white, fat, balling dude. Uh, I can't control my colour or, or, or my hair loss, but I, but I can control the fat part. So, uh, so I, I've got more and more into my running, and, and, and now I do ultra running. So I do ultra trail running, and so just this last weekend, I finished a. Uh, it was it was meant to be a hundred mile uh, running race. It was ended up being about one hundred and three miles, um, which was oh pretty gosh. epic, but, but awesome <laughs> to get through. It. And with and with how many feet of elevation or kilometers of elevation? Yeah, so it had about uh, twenty five thousand feet uh, of of elevation gain. So it was it was pretty it was pretty full on and pretty technical. And, and how oh long did goodness. that how long did that take you? Yeah, so it took me 29 hours. So I was kind of pleased to go below the 30 hours, um, but there was definitely towards the end there was uh, a few dark places, quite a lot of tears. Uh, <laughs> the old emotions were running, running kind of, uh, kind of crazy. But it was good to get through it. Dude, I can't even imagine. I know. Hey, so, so Ben, I mean, tell us about yourself. Like, uh, how did you become this guy who writes all these? you know, very insightful articles on clouds and, and investing and all the other cool things that you're doing. I mean, what, what, what got you there? I mean, tell us, tell us how you, you became Ben. <laughs> yeah. So I've had a, I've had a super circuitous route into this kind of industry. Uh, you know, I'm not a geek, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a developer. Uh, I dropped out of school, out of high school. Uh, I became an electrician. Uh, I got involved in a bunch of different businesses. I own a manufacturing business that makes like backpacks and outdoor clothing, workwear, um, and and then started uh, kind of having to deal with deal with software, deal with technology. Started uh, kind of writing about that, opining about that. This is about ten years ago when you know Salesforce and Amazon were kind of, or Salesforce and AWS were starting. Started yeah. sort of writing about those, and, and and I wrote a wave. I was super lucky. Uh, my timing was you know serendipitous that the cloud was just starting and I, and, and I rode that wave and, and I think that um, you know I'm lucky you know like Ali said before because I don't have a real job I don't have a day job I, I don't kind of have to focus on any one thing so I get to be super super broad and I think that um, you know I definitely uh, lose a lot of uh, deep technical uh, you know understanding through that but it brings another sort of um, breadth that is that is useful to to people I guess. 
Yeah. Sorry. Oh, Oh, I was going to say. So, how are you? How are you keeping up with everything? How do you? How do you get like the insights that you do? Are you? Are you talking to people? I mean, what's the? What's the? Um, the way that you you've gone about this? Yeah. So, I. I mean, I. I obviously travel uh, a ridiculous amount. I did, you know, three hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand miles so far this this calendar year. Um, so, I, I attend a huge number of conferences, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm spending a bunch of time at those sorts of things. I, I do a bunch of reading. You know, like I say, my uh, you know I, I do a lot of uh, other things involved with the businesses that I'm an investor in or or, or owner of. But I, because I don't have a day job, I can spend a bunch of time during the day, you know, reading and and you know on on the Twitter and on, on the Twitters and just looking at what's going on in the world. And so that's kind of the way I I guess keep try and keep up with what's going on. That's excellent. So you you mentioned that you know this all started for you about ten years ago. Um, and, and that brings up a good question. Um, what have you seen, you know, over that time as far as the evolution of the cloud? I know that even two or three years ago, it was being spoken about in a very different fashion. You know, there are different stars of the show than there are right now. You know, Kubernetes is the star, arguably, right now. Uh, a few years ago, it was OpenStack. I don't know what it was before then. Uh, I think there was a lot of vaporware and a lot of discussion about cloud, but not much as far as real solutions supporting it. So... Uh, can you take us back and tell us how you've seen things change? Yeah, it's really funny. And so one event that I, I used to go to every year was Cloud Connect, which was always uh, always happened at the Santa Clara Convention Center. And it was always kind of a bit of a uh, reunion of, of all of the, the, the cloud folks. And I remember sitting there maybe in 2008, 2009, something like that, at Cloud Connect. And, and there was a presentation from from uh, one of the large traditional technology vendors that may or may not have a three-letter acronym for a name, uh, and, and this executive was up on stage, kind of talking about the cloud, and it was just—it was just all fud. It was like, you know, cloud's not going to happen. It's not reliable. It's not going to work for for you know any regulated uh, industries. Uh, and I was thinking about that this morning uh, when I saw the news that um, AWS has just launched a. a a special secret region uh, for for intelligence agencies in the U.S. and and to have come so far where you know every bank in the world, bar none, is is mm -hmm. using some some kind of cloud infrastructure or some cloud software or some cloud solutions. You know every regulated industry is doing that. Uh, it's it's kind of really nice to have to have been part of a you know a tiny tiny you know inconsequential part, but a part of a journey which has gone from absolutely this thing will not be, you know, you are all freaks, you don't know what you're talking about, to now, uh, yeah, kind of, we were all right. And that, that sounds a little bit, uh, a little bit douchey, a little bit arrogant, but, but it's not <laughs> so much that we were right, it's more, it's, it's really interesting to have been, to been a part of that journey with a bunch of really, really cool folks that I call friends. It's like, it's interesting. Oh, we were actually right. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> I love that, right? Well, and I feel like it's that almost that instant stardom thing because I felt like for a good part of that journey, it was talking about it and really it being pushed away and said, this, is, this isn't real. Even when it really was real and there were real customers out there using it, there was still a significant part. And now it seems like it just flipped so quickly to where everyone's got a cloud. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I think um, you know we've we've met before at OpenStack Foundation summits, and and I think OpenStack is a good example of that. In that, you know, one of my friends, Simon Wardley, is a, is a very opinionated sort of cloud commentator, and his regular thing is that OpenStack is a dead duck. Uh, and, and and it's really interesting to look at that in the context of what's happening with OpenStack, because you know, frankly, when OpenStack first started, uh, basically NASA and Rackspace said, you know. 
this is going to be the Amazon killer. This is a chance for all of you to kill Amazon. Well, um, no one's going to kill Amazon in the near future, and it's not going to be, I suspect, an open source uh, project because Amazon is incredible and is doing amazing things. Um, but just because OpenStack hasn't killed AWS doesn't mean that OpenStack isn't a real thing. It was really interesting at the last summit. I was there, and you know, a lot of the vendors who we saw at the expo in the early days, you know, the likes of HPE and IBM and Cisco, obviously, and Intel, you know, none of them were there for all intents and purposes. But there was a huge number of other organizations there, from the U.S. telcos uh, to the large uh, Chinese uh, players, whether it's Chinese telcos, um, Chinese financial services companies, or, or Chinese cloud players. Uh, and so it's really interesting, you know, to, to your point around, you know, thing, things get adopted even though the world's saying it's not happening. And then all of a sudden we wake up and say, oh, yeah, actually people are using it. And I kind of feel... OpenStack's a little bit like that. People are still saying it's a dead duck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, it's, it's not of people dead. are using it. So, so you're you're saying OpenStack's not dead and it still has a future? Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, uh, the, the vendors and the startups that got into OpenStack because they thought it would be a chance for them to compete um, hugely successfully with Amazon uh, in anything, you know, no with no differentiation other than the fact that it was OpenStack. You know, those ones have failed. But the ones who said, you know, we want to build cloud-like infrastructures, whether that's, you know, eBay or PayPal, um, you know, building their own private clouds, or whether it's someone like an OVH or or someone building a, a regionally specific cloud, um, those are those are absolutely valid use cases. And so, uh, OpenStack absolutely is a thing. Obviously, it's it's changing as is every technology initiative under the sun, and, and who knows what it will be. But I think um, we need to be a little bit more circumspect. You know, the, the, the rise of social media has allowed us to polarize everything. Everything is black or white. Either a project is dead or it is, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Hey Amen. Uh, it's, like it's like the Star Wars Sith mentality. <laughs> Sith yeah, I mean, something can be neither of those but can still yeah. be a thing, right? You know, it doesn't, <laughs> have to, it doesn't have to totally decimate the industry. Right to actually be successful. Yeah, it can just have its its niche where it's succeeding is fabulous for those companies, and uh, and you bringing it up, bringing up the summit makes me wonder. You know, as someone who wasn't there, I've been to six of them, but not that one. Um, what was the highlight? What was what was the the buzz uh, going on at the OpenStack Summit this year? What were the best presentations you saw, or the most interesting things? Well, I have to say it was really nice not having to fly like 25 hours to get to an OpenStack <laughs> summit. So it was in Sydney, so that was only a three and a half flight for me. So that was good. Um, it was it was really interesting. You know, there were some interesting things there uh, because basically, you know, without going super into the weeds, the foundation has decided to give up this idea of of the open tent, the big tent, where where basically every uh, orphan open open source project. Um, that wanted a home could come to OpenStack and find that home. But at the same time, uh, Jonathan Bryce, the executive director, um, uh, told us about this this new strategy, which is that OpenStack, the foundation, is going to be more than just the OpenStack cloud operating system. Uh, and I suspect that what OpenStack, uh, OpenStack, the OpenStack Foundation is actually trying to do, is, to an extent, is almost um, take on Apache and Linux as, as kind of these umbrella open source um, found, uh, foundations or organizations. Uh, and I think it sees itself as the 
the Uber Foundation, the Uber Open Source Foundation for Everything Cloud. Uh, I would, I, you know, I would imagine that that OpenStack really sees itself getting, you know, some container, uh, you know, orchestration uh, operation type um, initiatives in there, some serverless initiatives in there. Um, that's, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that that's going to work because obviously CNCF is doing great things in the in the cloud native space. Um, but it's yeah. very interesting from a positioning perspective. So now they're not competing with Amazon; they're competing with Apache and Linux and the CNCF. Yeah, yeah. It's it seems that is the case. It was really interesting. I talked with um, uh, Boris Rinsky, and, and as we all know, Boris Rinsky is probably one of the most entertaining uh, figures in the in the in the OpenStack, or the most entertaining figure in the OpenStack yes. world. Um, uh, from Marantis, uh, and he, I mean, I have to say he looked like a, a wreck. It's been a hard, a hard year or two for, <laughs> for, for Boris. Um, but his take on it was, uh, you know, I said to him, it, it seems like, uh, you know, the stack is trying to take on CNCF and OCI and all of these other things. And his take on it was that if anyone can be successful uh, in being this, this, this cloud foundation, um, it is, is his OpenStack and the team of, you know, Jonathan, Lauren and, and Mark. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's unusual to hear Boris complimenting anyone. Um, so, so that was an interesting, interesting take, and I'm sure those within the CNCF and Cloud Foundry Foundation and OCI um, will be somewhat amused uh, at that comment. That is so funny. So, I want to take a step back a second. You said that they are moving the foundations moving away from the big tent concept. Does that mean they're going to kind of end of life some of the projects? Are they going to cull them in any way? Or are they simply not going to continue to embrace more and more new projects? Did you? Well, frankly, I tend to be pretty outspoken about um, the big tent and all of those all of those projects. I always remember when uh, when Project Solemn was was announced, which was a project that was uh, I think Red Hat and uh, a few other vendors got in because PAST was becoming big, and all of a sudden OpenStack needed to be a PAST. Yeah. I think all of those projects are orphaned, are dead. Um, you know, the only thing that hasn't happened is the tombstone hasn't been set up. Um, and so I think that will just kind of happen. So I, I'm not so concerned about that. The reality is that, is that no one was using them. Vendors were were playing with them simply for, for commercial reasons, for their own commercial reasons, um, and they weren't actually a thing. So um, I think the end of the end of the big tent is is good, but the start of this new thing is um, is unknown, I guess. Interesting. Another another thing you guys touched on uh, just briefly was CNCF, and I did see a blog post of yours, or sorry, it was a Twitter post, talking about CNCF uh, either certifying or approving something like thirty six different uh, Kubernetes distributions. Uh, yeah, trying to standardize them or. Yeah, saying they're they're interoperable or something. Yeah, so um, apparently my my math was was incorrect and it was actually thirty two, but um, uh, whatever, uh, I'll, I'll give them the extra four. But uh, so th so that's interesting. I mean, I, I remember it was only a couple years ago that uh, at the OpenStack Summit there was that uh, in the keynote there was that demo where there was the huge long table where all of the different distros were showing uh, uh, that they were interoperable. Uh, and that was, you know, that was five years into OpenStack, and it had taken that long to actually get a workload to be able to work between between distros, which is kind of crazy because OpenStack was always held up as, you know, one of the benefits of open source is that there is interoperability. 
And so, yeah, CNCF were, were kind of cognizant about that. And with Kubernetes, um, you know, they introduced this thing where there was a, a level of interoperability and certified interoperability that CNCF would actually certify. Uh, and, and yeah, 32 of these uh, of these different organizations from, you know, Amazon to Microsoft to Tencent to Alibaba, to, you know, to everyone, um, uh, you know, is, is, are supporting this interoperability. I mean, I do, I do wonder because I, I get caught up in the whole sort of Kubernetes thing because you know, amazing, incredible uptake, you know, interest, vendors, whatever, um, and that was exactly what happened with OpenStack five years ago, and none of that stuff was actually good for OpenStack. Um, all it did was kind of lead it astray, and and I do worry whether in five years' time we'll be saying, yeah, CNCF, that was just another debacle of. <laughs> you know, a bunch of kind of orphan projects, and and I mean, Kubernetes is, is awesome. Kubernetes, the 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 project is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but I do worry that CNCF is trying to kind of again bring in. It's kind of to, trying to do the the big tent of cloud native, which um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. Do Do you think Kubernetes will be more successful than OpenStack? If I don't know how to define success, but uh, just what, or do you think it's just destined to become the same thing? So, so, so the the issue for me is is that uh, you know, like let's look at the macro trend here. The macro trend here is that organisations need to move faster. That no one wants to think about infrastructure when they're you know, when they're building applications. They want to they want all of that stuff to just dissolve into the ether. And so, uh, you know, virtualization, OpenStack, a virtualized platform is absolutely quicker than racking and stacking physical servers. Absolutely. But containers is quicker yet again. The thing that kind of I, I wonder about is that you know serverless is the next level of you know abstracting away your infrastructure, forgetting about those servers. And so, in a world where serverless all of a sudden becomes easy, doable, uh, broadly you know understood, does that render Kubernetes or containers kind of where? Virtualization is now, and that doesn't—that's not to say that they're going to go and 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 they're not going to be used because clearly there's some workloads that need, you know, there's some workloads that still need mainframes or physical servers or whatever. Um, but I do wonder whether the new shiny thing is only shiny because we haven't found the new shiny thing, and I, and I wonder whether. <laughs> well, it's it's a valid point. I mean, just like Red Hat introduced the solemn uh, to. Uh, to OpenStack, and and now others have implemented different projects for Kubernetes to do serverless now, because that's the new the new thing, right? Yeah, totally. And and I do, you know, I remember at a, an OpenStack summit a few years ago where Alex Polwey from CoreOS um, was was demoing Stackinetes, which was you know Kubernetes on top of OpenStack or OpenStack on top of Kubernetes or some kind of you know, turtles all the way down. Um, yeah. And and I do <laughs> wonder whether we're doing we're trying to kind of we're, we're trying to shoehorn a solution into this kind of problem in easier ways to do it. I sort of worry about that a little bit. So uh, I'm going to pause for a second. As you guys are talking about serverless, I worry that we may have, we have a very technically savvy audience, but there may be some that are saying, well, what's, what's serverless? What's the value proposition there? How does it work? I clearly, we, we've needed servers for a long time. Even when we abstract away from them, what is, what is serverless? Can can you take a, a moment, Ben, to explain what's why, what's the excitement around that? Sure. So so let's 
be honest here, there are still servers. You know, even in the cloud, there are still physical servers. You know, we may have virtualized them, but there are still physical servers sitting somewhere. But the idea of serverless is that um, basically, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a technical guy. I'm a, I'm a super simple guy, so I always dumb things down. I think of it as something like a, um, like a Zapier or an if, if this and that. That if this happens, if this trigger occurs, then take this action. And basically, it's taking that sort of that paradigm or that that notion down to infrastructure. So if this trigger occurs, if this event happens, then I want this function to to run. And that function obviously somewhere runs on a a, a physical server, but I don't want to think about that. All I want to think about is the function that I actually want to kick off. And so that's what serverless is all about. Thank you. I appreciate that. Anything to add, Val, from your point of view? Uh, uh, no, I just, I want to know more, uh, you know, Ben, I mean, what what do you think is is, is going to happen? I mean, predictions, I mean, what's the, or, or what what's actually happening now that is most interesting to you in, in all of these different cloud, uh, you know, stories that we hear on-prem, off-prem, wherever? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting because it is quite polarized because on the one hand you have the 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 SaaS vendors, you know, whether it's Salesforce or you know a company like HelloSign that I've been doing some stuff with, um, that is actually delivering tools for business users to actually do, you know, and a digital transformation is a is a cliched word, but to actually start putting digital process into what they do, uh, and then on the other hand. We're all trying to suggest that, you know, the shiniest new box, whether that's a real box or a virtual box or a or a container box or a, or a serverless box, is all of a sudden digital transformation. And and I, I like I totally understand that you can't, you know, business people won't be able to do all of the stuff that you will need to involve developers and you will need to involve IT. Probably a little bit that. We're sort of gilding the lily a bit. You know, we're calling what we do in the infrastructure space, you know, digital transformation. And really, it is, all it is, is 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 those same old physical servers in much in much smaller boxes, you know, smaller uh, achievable instances. So um, units of measure. But so I, I do I do kind of wonder about that stuff. Hmm. Like, like, I, I shouldn't really answer your question. Well, uh, no, there's a, there's a, there's a big part where you, where you, you uh, uh, went out for a little bit, but uh, just trying, trying to restate that. So it's, I mean, if we're focused on the infrastructure, is are we missing the bigger business transformation? Am I, am I, I don't think I so got I, that. Right. I mean, I, I dream of a world where uh, a business person, uh, you know, has a process that she wants to, uh, you know, wants to happen. And she can use some really simple what you see is what you get kind of plug and play development framework to build that and it just runs. Mm. Or a developer has an application that she wants to build and she just creates that application using you know whatever language or framework she wants to do and it just happens, it just runs. And right. it seems to me like serverless is probably a better a better paradigm to realize that dream than than even Kubernetes, and and better again than than virtual cloud, and better again than than physical servers. Yeah, just not caring about the operating system anymore, which is so much. I mean, even on even on containers, we still have to create an operating system, you know, that it runs off of, right? So, yeah, I'm, I 
I, it seems to be that's more of getting closer to that world that you dream of. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, like I, I remember, you know, five years ago when I got a new laptop, you know, I would play with the settings and look at what the, you know, the latest version of Windows could do for me or whatever. Or, or in the early days when I got a phone, I'd, I'd, you know, like the operating system updates and I'd go into the settings and see what was new. And what do I do now? I open my app or on my laptop, I open Chrome and I'm in, I'm in my browser. And all of that, you know, I don't care about the operating system. I, I mean, I am, I am a Windows guy, mm -hmm. um, frankly, because uh, Windows machines are, are, are cheaper than Apple and um, Michael Dell's a really nice guy and he, he gives me the odd free laptop. Um, but do I, do I fundamentally think that my life with a, um, an Apple laptop would be different from from a Windows laptop? No, because I live in Chrome. So that's my answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's more about you know the app on top of it as compared to that underneath. I mean, and and it's funny because I've I've worked with some interns too, and I'm like, have you ever guys have you guys ever installed an operating system? And they're like, no, never, never done that. <laughs> I'm like, really? So okay. <laughs> um, I wanted I wanted to ask you one more question, if I may. Uh, you had a you had an interesting post uh, last week about uh, Huawei. And uh, I guess it was a, a conference that you were in, but but one of these, you know, some of these different um, maybe Eastern cloud providers that aren't getting as much attention, and uh, that could be a big mistake for many people to that they're not paying attention to them. Yes, yeah, so there's a really interesting thing. I mean, obviously, I live outside of the U.S., so I have a, a different perspective on things, maybe. But but I went up to to Kuala Lumpur um, to to Huawei's um, Asian Innovation Day there. And they were talking about, about their cloud aspirations. And they're a massive organization. They've got 170,000 employees. Uh, they do, you know, obviously we know about the, the devices, handsets and stuff they do. But they, they're in huge numbers of different areas. They're absolutely massive, uh, basically everywhere apart from the US. Um, and I think we do two things. One is that vendors from outside of the US see the US as their only sort of uh, success metric. And so today I saw the news that um, OVH, which is a great French uh, cloud computing vendor, is launching in the US because they bought uh, the vCloud Air assets from, from VMware. Mm. And so they're launching into the US to do cloud computing in the US. Well, my feeling is, is that OVH has an absolutely fantastic value proposition in Europe because it's you know European language, European provider, European data centers, European owned, the whole GDPR thing, it has a differentiation there. Does it have a differentiation in the US where it's going up against AWS and and, and, and Microsoft and Google? No, it, it doesn't. And so that's, that's the first mistake is these, these vendors seeing US success as the determinant of overall success. Hmm. But the second second problem is that, you know, putting on my kind of one foot in the, in, in the Bay Area or one foot in the US kind of persona, in, in our industry, we kind of think that anyone from outside, anyone that isn't successful in, in the US is, is irrelevant. And so you look at the likes of Alibaba, who is an incredibly fast-growing cloud computing provider that we kind of just ignore, or Huawei, uh, you know, with the stuff that Tencent's doing. There's some absolutely monstrous uh, vendors. You know, China and, and India together are, are 20 or 25% of the global population. And we kind of just ignore vendors from those countries. I mean, it's just it's just absurd, really, when we think about it. So, I think that um, 
I think it would be very much wrong to ignore those vendors, both because they are going very big, very quick, and they are going global, despite not being hugely in the US, but also because increasingly um, China and to a lesser extent India are sort of um, the global economic powerhouses, and those over the next decades will become increasingly important in the socio-political space. And so it's easy for us in the West to kind of think that the status quo will remain. But, um, you know, we should take a leaf from our own industry and see that what happened to Digital Equipment Corporation may well happen to, to US vendors uh, generally. And we need to be sort of aware of what um, those other players are doing. Yeah, what I thought was fascinating about that post about Huawei in Malaysia was that uh, their approach to kind of locking this business in, you know, um, they've clearly, they've gotten the government to sign all these memoranda of understanding, you know, we're going to guide you uh, through the Internet of Things for your transportation department or for this department or for that department. It was what it sounded like to me. And I thought, man, that's genius. What a way to lock people in and, and to ensure a long-term customer. Well, I have to say, you know, um, in fairness, it, it makes it a lot easier when you've got countries that um, don't really care about civil liberties. Um, so, you know, there was, one, <laughs> there was one demo there, which was an amazing demo about sort of crime prevention uh, in, I think it was in one part of Shenzhen in, in China. Uh, and it was incredible and, and really effective. And, but basically the way they achieved that was by um, looking at every individual and tracing every individual and, and looking at where they were and, and who they were. Uh, and clearly, that's something that that would not fly. It certainly wouldn't fly in Europe. <laughs> right. it wouldn't even fly, um, at, at least if anyone knew about it uh, in the US. <laughs> um, so, so that definitely helps. Uh, but yeah, it, it is pretty amazing. I mean, what we saw at, at, at that event in Malaysia was was basically uh, the Malaysian government saying, you know, we can't do this. Um, we could kind of play the field and talk to all the vendors, but frankly. Um, you know, Huawei, you're just over the border, you're 170,000 people. Uh, we are going to entrust you with our sort of whole digital transformation journey. Um, and that is, uh, that is a pretty, it's, I mean, it's a genius and at the same time obvious move from Huawei. And to be honest, it actually makes sense from Malaysia because, um, you know, those countries, there's always been a degree of, you know, business practices are different from the way they are in the, East, in the, in the West. There's a degree of uh, corruption, a degree of, of uh, greasing palms and those sorts of things. Yes. And if you just accept that that's the way things are done, uh, but you go into a relationship with a, with a company like Huawei knowing that that is the case, but there are gonna be some benefits from that in terms of the digital transformation for your country, then um, then maybe you find a happy place. <laughs> hey, I wonder, well, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, I wonder, I mean, how does that play out in the next couple of years with, with them, I mean, as they get bigger, and certainly Amazon gets bigger, and I mean, all these just giant companies. I've just, I mean, what 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 happens, and, and what could be a, a conflict, if if any, of those? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, you know, Amazon getting bigger. There's all of the antitrust stuff that may happen, you know, in the U.S. or in Europe because of that. I mean, the interesting thing will occur, and I kind of think, I mean, it's, and it's not a technology conversation, it's a, it's a geopolitical conversation. I mean, I think we are coming to a point where there will be a, a clash, and I don't mean a military clash, but there will be a uh, you know, socio-political clash between the East and the West, because, um, you know, frankly, the East is, uh, has spent, you know, 100 years or, or, or at least 60 or 70 years post-World War II 
being this good subservient, uh, you know, basically the sweatshop for the West, making making all our, our stuff for cheap, uh, and and you know doing not much else, and having a standard of living that is lower than than we've enjoyed. Clearly, that is changing and has changed. Yeah. Uh, and when that reaches a critical mass, I mean, the fact of the matter is that China could turn around tomorrow and you know call in its debt and uh, you know strong arm the West, and its its vendors could be bigger than the West vendors. Um, when that, if and when that happens, um, we're going to be seeing a very different world, both from a technology and from a from a geopolitical perspective. Wow, Dang. that's that's really interesting to think about. Um, so what I was going to say is we're, we're, we're running up against uh, the end of our time limit here, but we do always like to ask our guests, um, Ben, you know, outside of cloud, it doesn't have to be just within cloud, but what, what's the new technology that's exciting to you? We're hearing a lot of talk about AI. What are you seeing coming? What new companies or new technologies are making you go, wow, that's, that's interesting. I can't wait to see where that goes. So I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to in my uh, in my usual manner I'm going to not answer that question but answer a different one. Uh, and, and, right. and so so technology is amazing and technology can do incredible things and and it's super exciting to see technology being applied to to make the world a better place. But what it really excites me is people doing doing real things and so I get super excited. Uh, you know, like as, as I said, I, I own a, a business that makes backpacks and outdoor clothing. You know, so we have we employ real people making real products and real sewing machines. And so I think what we're going to see, and, and it kind of does relate to technology, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see the application of technology, but to create more personalized sort of artisanal experiences. And so I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to have stuff rammed down my throat that, that AI is kind of semi-personalizing, but isn't really. What I want to do is I want to get something that is curated that is created um, by someone that I can actually speak to, talk to, see, reach. Um, and those sorts of experience, experiences are what excite me. And so I think what we're going to see is we're going to see technology as an augmentation to the artisans out there. And we're already seeing it with you know, the local farmers market and, and community growers you know, embracing technologies to connect with their, their constituents or st their stakeholders. But I think we'll see the increase of those sorts of things. And I think what we will see is, 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 is us in the technology industry is where it's always been sort of the technology industry has been the, you know, the sweaty, smelly geeks uh, and the business people have been over here. I actually, I actually hope that in our careers we see a bridge built between those two things and we actually can be, you know, we've always talked about being a partner to the business, but frankly we haven't ever been. Um, I'd like to see that, that bridge get built and, and see technology actually augment uh, what's happening across the board. That's brilliant. I, yeah, I agree. And I, I, I know the kind of experiences you're talking about where technology is um, kind of a partner to some level of customization. And I think the fashion industry is a little bit ahead on that. And um, art too. I've had the number of amazing pieces of artwork I've had created by folks who I've connected with online through a marketplace and then that artisan has worked with me and we've created something custom for an anniversary or a birthday or something like that. Um, that sounds a little bit like what you were touching on where you were getting to. Yeah, totally. I mean, my, my wife, it's funny you talk about that, but my, my wife is a, is a painter, um, uh, oil painter and, and, and she's starting to kind of embrace, um, you know, social platforms in order to, to, to reach her constituents. 
Uh, and just, just that feeling that someone on the other side of the world, someone from a different culture, can actually speak to an artist, to an artisan, and can actually have something created that is in, con in context for them. Um, it's kind of that taking that Renaissance sort of patronage approach, yeah. um, but yes. doing, it, doing it on mass, which is which is really nice. That is nice, yeah. Hey, we really appreciate you being on, Ben, today. Um, we are running out of time. I want to let everybody know before we leave um, where you'll be next, where, where you'll be on stage, where they can uh, connect with you, and how they can get a hold of you on Twitter. Sure. So uh, I'm going to be uh, at reInvent next week in Vegas, uh, and then I'm done for the year, which is quite nice, but I've got a bunch of stuff on my on my plate for next year. But I'm always happy to engage with folks, and I'm uh, Ben Keeps, B-E-N-K-E-P-S, on Twitter, uh, and I'm, I'm always keen to, keen to have a chat. Thank you so much. Any other questions, Val? No, it's so great to, great to meet you, Ben. Thanks for taking this time with us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate your, uh, your unique uh, view on the industry. It's, it's helpful to hear from, uh, from someone who has that perspective. So thanks so much. We hope to have you on again someday. And uh, for now, goodbye, everybody. Bye.